0: Um, like I said, my name is John. One of the pastors. It's a blessing to to be here. And uh, if you've been with us at all this year, you probably are aware that we've been doing a, a year long look at what Jesus said. Right? We've been looking specifically at things that He has said in the in the Gospels, and we've been doing that because there's a lot of of thoughts or ideas in society about who Jesus was or wasn't, and the things that He said or didn't say. Right? There's some there's some d- debate. There's some confusion about all that, and so we've That there's no better place to look than his word Like what was recorded by his disciples by his his people at the time of what he actually said It's the best source that we have for who he was and for the things that he said the things that he taught And so we've been looking all year long We're going to for the rest of the the year be looking at the things that jesus said And as you look at what jesus said it doesn't take a A long time as you're reading through the gospels to find some things that are, are pretty hard Right? They're, either, they're either hard to understand, maybe they're hard to apply. Um, there's a lot of things that uh, we just don't necessarily even want to hear that we read in his word. And so the last few weeks we've actually been looking at some of these specific hard things that Jesus has said. We're calling this series The Way is Hard. And a couple weeks ago we started looking at Matthew 7 where Jesus said that the gate is narrow and the way is hard, where the name of our, our series comes from. The way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Jesus loves and He invites everyone, but not everyone is going to choose to come to Him, choose to follow Him. And He says that the, the narrow path, the hard path, is the one that actually leads to life. And then uh, after that, we looked at Luke 9, and Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross daily and follow me. that's not a real popular message in our society, right? We get a lot of, hey, just do you, be yourself. We got to look out for number one. And they don't mean Jesus is number one. They mean you yourself is number one, right? And so it's not a real popular topic or idea to deny yourself. We're told specifically, don't deny who you are. Right, Be who you are. And Jesus says, nope, deny yourself and follow me. And oftentimes our society, we, we kind of portray Jesus as someone who is who maybe just kind of always meek, mild. He's just kind of this lovey-dovey figure, has kind of this live and let live mindset or attitude. And the first, if the first two weeks we just talked about kind of summarized, if those weren't enough evidence that that's not who Jesus was, Right, last week, we started looking at the seven woes or judgments that Jesus proclaims on the scribes and the Pharisees. It's a pretty hard thing to hear if you are in that audience, right? And Aaron encouraged us last week, says, woe to you hypocrites, and Aaron encouraged us to, that we are the you. Like, look at that when you read that, you are the you that he's talking to and so it's, it's easy for us to, to kind of point the finger, kind of, kind of look at other people as the, as the problem. And here we are 2,000 years later, hypocrisy is still a problem, right? It's still an issue in our churches, in our leaders, in us individually. And I'm sure we can all think of examples of pastors, of, of church leaders, of, of Christians who are supposed to look like Jesus and help us, help us follow Jesus and, and lead us towards Jesus that aren't doing those things. Right? They're leading us actually away from Jesus. And there's a lot of high-profile examples that we can probably all think of with, uh, with religious leaders, with pastors. You know, you've got Mark Driscoll. You've got Ravi Zacharias. You've got Bill Hybels. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. There's more general kind of institutional examples like maybe the Catholic Church and a lot of the the sex scandal and the cover-up. Other denominations have have also faced that kind of stuff where, where these things come out and it's discovered that it's been just covered up and hidden. And we probably all have very specific and personal examples of hypocrisy as well, right? One of the biggest complaints, if not the biggest complaint against the church or against Christianity is that we're a bunch of hypocrites, right? And so today, we're going to actually close out this, this little series. There's a lot of hard sayings. We couldn't address all of them, so that we're closing the series out today, and we're going to continue what Pastor Aaron started last week. We're going to continue looking at these woes, we're going to continue looking at hypocrisy. And I know that maybe feels like, well, we just talked about hypocrisy last week. Let's just check that one off and move on. Right? But stick with me. We're going to look more at Matthew 23, and we're going to look at how we respond to hypocrisy, or how we should respond to hypocrisy. So if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn with me to Matthew 23. Like I said, some of this is going to be a little bit repetitive, and so uh, please just stick with me. Hopefully you can get some new things out of it this week, and some of it will be new, so it won't be all the same. So Matthew 23... I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, "The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach but do not practice." And so we start off here Jesus is talking to not to the Pharisees yet, he's talking to the crowds, he's talking to his disciples, and he's about to critique the hypocrisy of the scribes and the Pharisees. He's about to kind of give them this, this big list of things that they're doing wrong. But Jesus, being the, the perfect teacher, the best teacher, right, he doesn't want to waste an opportunity for people to learn. right? So even though he's not specifically going to be waging these complaints against the, the crowds and against his disciples, he wants them to learn from what he's going to, going to say. He wants them to learn from this. And so before he gets into the critique of the, the scribes and Pharisees, he tells the, the crowd and the disciples, one way that they're supposed to respond to the hypocrisy of others. He says that the scribes and the Pharisees, they sit on Moses' seat. Right? In other words, they've got authority to teach the scriptures. They've got authority to teach the commands of Jesus. And so he says, practice and observe what they tell you. Like li- Listen to them. Do what they're telling you, but not what they actually are doing, because they are, they are preaching it, but they're not practicing it. Right? And so the, the first thing that we can do to respond to hypocrisy is follow God even when others don't. We have a tendency to use the hypocrisy of others to kind of eliminate our own responsibility. We, we see this all throughout our, our relationships. We, we do this as kids growing up, like our, our parents maybe are doing hypocritical things, so I'm just not going to listen to them. They're being hypocrites, so I'm, I'm not going to do it either. We do it as students in schools. We do this as employees at work. We do this in our friendships. We do this in our marriages. We do this in our relationship with Jesus. As we've already discussed, hypocrisy is a huge problem in the church and in Christians. But the hypocrisy of those who claim to follow Jesus but don't does not negate our own responsibility to follow Jesus. Jesus is 100% holy, he's 100% true, so his commands, his teaching, his word is also 100% holy and true. And so it's always right to practice and observe his teaching, whether the person delivering that teaching is doing it or not, that doesn't negate his teaching. And a lot of times we kind of deem Jesus not worth following because the people who claim to follow him aren't actually following him. They're hypocrites, they're jerks, they're judgmental. And so we're like, oh, that's not for me. They throw the baby out with the bathwater, if you will, which is kind of a weird saying, isn't it? <laughs> but it's like saying that the principles of math are wrong because I missed some of the answers on a test. Right? If I, get the, if I get the questions wrong, it doesn't make math wrong. It makes me wrong. Right? And so we need to follow God even when others don't. And I know that that maybe feels like it. wait a second. I thought we were, we were talking about hypocrisy in the scribes and the pharaohs. Why are we going after the people who aren't the ones being hypocritical? Don't worry about it. Jesus is going to come after them too. Right? Jesus hates hypocrisy even more than we do. So let's continue on. Verse 4. They, the scribes and the Pharisees, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. Like I said, Jesus hates hypocrisy more than we do. He hates sin more than we do. And most of the rest of this chapter and much of his teaching throughout the Gospels points out hypocrisy, particularly in the religious leaders who should know better. And he kind of puts this list together of of things that these leaders are doing. They're, They're not practicing what they preach, they load up people with these heavy burdens, but they're not actually trying to help them carry those burdens. They do their deeds just to be seen by other people. And they love positions of honor and, and being recognized. And so what's Jesus doing here? He's calling out their hypocrisy. right? So we, we respond to hypocrisy by calling it out. And so many of the examples I gave earlier of Of the hypocrisy that we've seen in religious leaders and in institutions, right? They're made worse or they're allowed to linger because it doesn't get called out. It's hidden, it's covered up, it's just avoided or ignored. And we can't call out every hypocritical thing that is done, right? That would just be impossible. But we should not allow hypocrisy to go unchecked. Now, I want to give a little disclaimer, a little warning. We've got to be careful, because in this passage we just read, Jesus is the one calling out hypocrisy, right? And as we've established, Jesus is 100% holy, true, righteous, but we aren't Jesus, okay? And so the first place that we need to call out hypocrisy is in ourselves. And then, then so order, right, first, and then second, in a loving and gracious way, we need to come alongside our brothers and our sisters in the faith regarding hypocrisy that we see. Now, ultimately, this should be done in relationship. This should be done in community. You don't just walk up to any random person and start yelling that they're a hypocrite. It should be done in relationship. And in order to point that person to Jesus to restore right relationship, first and foremost, with that person in Jesus but then also with that person and others. It's not to be done as some kind of a gotcha. It's not to be done as some kind of a, I'm superior to you because you're a hypocrite and I'm going to point that out for you. It's not to shame or to ridicule, but instead as a way to love people towards Jesus. Lovingly, graciously call it out. And then the next way we respond is be sure that you don't feed it. Don't feed the hypocrisy. Let's continue on. Verse 8. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. Remember, right now Jesus is talking to the crowd he's talking to the disciples he has not yet specifically turned his focus to the scribes and the pharisees and he's basically saying hey don't seek these titles or these positions or this notoriety that ultimately belongs to god jesus is our teacher jesus is our is our father and our instructor right that's that's who our focus needs to be on not us obtaining these positions and there's nothing wrong with trying to maybe get a promotion at work. There's nothing wrong with earning advanced degrees or, or certificates. But if you're doing it because of the notoriety that you get, or as a way to wield you know, some kind of power or coerce people, or I'm finally the boss, right, you're opening yourself up to all sorts of problems, including hypocrisy. And so don't, don't feed it in yourself yourself. By losing sight of who ultimately is the one that we need to esteem and worship and obey, and that's Jesus. But we also don't want to feed it in other people. Our, our culture, we've kind of got this, this hero thing, right? We we love our heroes, we love our celebrities. I, I saw a news story the other day, Taylor Swift was eating at a restaurant in New Jersey, and word got out. And hundreds of people showed up outside of this restaurant to see Taylor Swift. Like she wasn't doing a concert. She wasn't going to start singing. They just wanted to see her. Right? We have this, this celebrity culture. And I think it can be good and, and maybe even healthy to have people to, to look up to, people that inspire us. But it's completely unhealthy and, and very much not good to put people on pedestals. It's not good for us, and it's not good for those people. We're ultimately feeding ego and pride, which then leads to hypocrisy. Because a lot of times when, you, when you're lifting these people up on these pedestals, these people then have pressure to meet those expectations, to satisfy that, that thing that we, we have by putting them there in the first place. And so we're actually elevating them and setting them up for a fall because we can't live up to those standards. And this, unfortunately, extends into the church as well, particularly as churches get bigger and the pastors kind of get further removed from the, from the people, from the congregation, from relationship. Right? We get these celebrity pastors we mentioned some of them already, but like Mark Driscoll, Carl Lentz, Brian Houston, Bill Hybels, Joel Osteen, right? We get these, we get these celebrity pastors. We put them on this, this pedestal. We treat them like rock stars, and then we're shocked when, when things come out and they fall. We should absolutely show honor and respect to leaders to bosses, to pastors, to parents, right? They're worthy of of respect and honor, but they cannot take the place of Jesus in our lives. And so Jesus continues here in verse 11. He says, The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And Jesus says, if we want to be great, we are to serve. If we want to be exalted, we are to be humble. And so how do you respond to hypocrisy? Be humble. Again, there's kind of these two, two aspects to this. First, in regards to your own behavior, it's hard to be hypocritical when you are humble. Right? Hypocrisy makes things about you. Humility makes things about other people. Right? So it's very hard to be hypocritical if you're humble. And then when it comes to hypocrisy in other people, we still need to be humble, right? It's pretty easy to see other people's hypocrisy. It's far easier to see their hypocrisy than your own hypocrisy. We've got kind of this radar for hypocrisy. Like I said, we use it as an excuse to not do things ourselves, so we're kind of looking for it. Like We want excuses to get off the hook a little bit. We just can't believe how hypocritical that other person is. So we get judgmental, we get angry. You know, Pastor John said we're supposed to call out hypocrisy, so we've got no problem doing that. But what ends up happening? We get kind of puffed up, right? We get self righteous. We start thinking that we're better than those people that are hypocrites. And what does Jesus say when we exalt ourselves? We will be humbled. We need to be humble when we see hypocrisy in others because it helps us be aware, to, aware of and guard against the hypocrisy in ourselves. And so that was, that was Jesus kind of using this as a learning opportunity, right? And now he's going to turn his attention to the scribes and to the Pharisees specifically. He pronounces seven woes, seven judgments on them. And they all start, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And like we said, last, last week Aaron talked about having that you be like literally you. <clears throat> and he talked about one of these, these woes last week. We don't have time to talk about all of the woes, but we are going to look at a couple of additional woes. Let's go ahead and skip to verse 25, Matthew 23, verse 25. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, and the outside also may be clean. So we see all throughout Scripture that the Pharisees were very concerned with cleanliness, with purity and defilement, right? We've got all sorts of stories where Jesus is talking to them about these things, and they're concerned about washing, they're concerned about what you eat, all of these things about purity. And it wasn't that the, these things are necessarily bad, right? The Pharisees are trying to follow God. They're trying to be obedient to, to what it looks like to follow him and follow his commands, but many of their rules were things that they added to the law. They weren't things that God had put into the law. <clears throat> and so they're putting more focus on these, these man-made rules that they have come up with, that they've created as kind of these safeguards. Well, if I don't do these, then I won't do these other things that God said. Right? It's a kind of this protection. And so that, but their focus became more on those things than on what God actually said, what God commanded. So another problem is that, that Jesus addresses here, is that they would dutifully follow these rules to look a certain way on the outside. That they wanted to look obedient. They wanted to look like they had it all together. That they were following God. But Jesus says they're actually far from him. The outside of the cup, their external religious practices, they looked really good. But the inside of the cup was filthy. It was gross. It was dirty. That's the heart. And this is kind of common in our, our churches and in our homes. We have these external practices that we do, like church attendance, like volunteering, like, you know, I got to follow all these rules. We kind of see examples of this with the, the rich young ruler, with the, the older son in the prodigal son story, right? They're dutifully following all these things, but their heart was far from God. When we're around church people, you know, we behave a certain way, right? Because we've we got to fit in. We've got to look the part. We've got we to do the things the right way. And then as soon as we're somewhere else, we let all that stuff go, and now we, we're our, our real selves. But I want you to notice something here. Multiple times in this, in this passage, in Matthew 23, Jesus refers to the Pharisees as being blind or as being blind guides, and I think that's because the Pharisees don't necessarily recognize that they are being hypocrites. The Pharisees get a pretty bad rap in, in, when we talk about them, right? Like thousands of years we've been talking about the Pharisees. It's rarely a good thing when we talk about them. But for the most part, the Pharisees are trying to honor and follow God. Like, that's, what, that's what their or at least original intent was. They're trying to follow God, and like us, they messed up. Like us, they missed the mark at times. And I don't think most hypocrites set out to be hypocrites. Right? Very few. I don't think I've ever encountered somebody that was like, yes, I wanted to be a hypocrite today. <laughs> now, it's usually the, kind of this gradual slide into hypocrisy. It's not a decision that you make to be a hypocrite. And I think, really, it becomes kind of a, a protection mechanism, right? We become hypocrites because we're trying to protect something. We're trying to protect ourselves. We kind of put up this facade. We start wearing this mask in order to protect or hide our doubt, our fear, our shame, our guilt. Now, some of that is just people's own insecurities, right? Right? Nobody's making them do those things, right? They've got these insecurities, and so they put up these walls, and they want to hide that because they don't, they don't want their true self to be known or seen. And like some of Jesus' complaints against the Pharisees, we, we are also part of that, right? We, we cause that to happen because of the way that we treat people. We lay burdens on others without helping them bear the weight. We encourage and enforce our own set of rules or standards over and above what Jesus actually taught. We shame and we ridicule and we judge people when they sin or even when they doubt or ask questions. And Doing these things essentially encourages people to either pretend. right? They've got to they pretend that they're falling in line and they're conforming or it encourages them to leave. And so before too long, there's kind of this culture of hypocrisy within families or within churches because everyone's just kind of pretending. We don't want we don't want to be found out. We don't want to know, we don't want people to know that I'm not actually following these rules, or we don't want people to know that I just I've fear and I have doubt and I have concerns or I have shame or I have guilt. And so we all just kind of put up these walls and we pretend. Mike McKinley in the commentary, Luke, for you, he's, he's commenting on a different, different passage, but similar in Luke 11. He says, hypocrisy puts the bar at an impossible height and then encourages everyone to pretend that they are jumping over it. The answer isn't pretending. It isn't better following of the rules or, or rituals or, or let's create even more better rules. Right? That's not the answer. Jesus says, in our next response to hypocrisy, we need to clean the inside of the cup. He says it starts with our heart. When our heart is clean, when we are submitted to Jesus and seeking His will and His way in our lives, and we're daily denying ourselves, like we've talked about already, then the outside, the external things, take care of themselves. Rather than doing these external behaviors to conform to some image, or earn some kind of favor, the external things are a result. They are the fruit of a clean heart. And so our focus needs to be on the condition of our heart, and not on how we look on the outside. Now the reason that the greatest commandment, right? Aaron has mentioned my my tattoo a few times, right? Mark twelve thirty. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. The reason that that's the greatest commandment is because if you can do that, everything else falls in line. And so while this is ultimately the heart of the matter... See what I did there? Jesus was not yet done with the woes. We've got one more woe that we're going to look at. Verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Okay, so when this this was written, this was probably uh, around Passover. People are coming into Jerusalem to come and worship, right? And they're going through these these areas, including around these tombs, right? And so anyone who came into contact with a dead body would be unclean, and they would not be able to go and worship unless they had become clean again, right? And so there's these tombs, that were in use, obviously that means they had dead bodies in them, right? So you cannot come into contact with them. And so they would whitewash or they would paint the front of these tombs to kind of point out, hey, there's, there's dead bodies here. Don't walk here. Go, go a different way. The outside of the tomb looked nice, right? It was painted up. Maybe they put some flowers out there. Was, hey, they mark it up. It looked really nice, but inside was death. There's dead bodies in there. That's what Jesus is saying that the scribes and the Pharisees are like. Hey, you look really good on the outside. You're doing all these things. But inside is death, hypocrisy, lawlessness. It's kind of like the Griswold family turkey Christmas vacation, (laughs) right? Right? They bring the turkey out. Cousin Eddie's like, oh, that looks good, right? They cut into it, and just death, decay, gross, right? But they still try to eat it. Another, another story. But In a similar account in Luke 11, Jesus actually says, you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. So even worse than pretending to be righteous and holy when they weren't, they were actually leading people towards death. They were leading people astray. Our hypocrisy doesn't just hide our own uncleanness, it threatens to take others down with us. Whitewashed tombs were intended to identify death and decay so it could be avoided Whitewashed people intend to cover up death and decay and actually lead people towards it. Whitewashed tombs point the way. That's how we are to respond to hypocrisy. We are to point the way to Jesus. We need to point people away from death and towards life by the way that we live. We need to stop pretending, stop being more focused on what it looks like on the outside and more concerned with truly submitting and following Jesus. And as we do that, we're going to help point other people to Jesus as well. So Jesus pronounces these these seven woes, and then he kind of sums everything up. He wraps everything up towards the end of, of 23 here. Turn with me to Matthew 23 37. It says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Jesus says he wants to, to bring them to him like a mother hen. He wants to just gather them in and bring them to him, and they don't want to. They don't want to come to him. These woes are meant as a warning, right? This is not a final word on the scribes and the Pharisees. This is a warning to the Pharisees. Hey, judgment is coming because of these things, but you've still got time to fix it. That's basically what he's saying. Jesus is loving and kind, and so he's giving them an opportunity to repent, to turn to him, Remember, he started this whole thing talking to the crowds, talking to his disciples. and so it's a warning to them as well. He doesn't want to waste this teaching opportunity. He's, he's warning them of these things. And here we are in, in Sultan, Washington, 2,000 years later, and it's a warning to us too. The final way to respond to hypocrisy is come to Jesus. This passage is an opportunity to check our hearts. It's an opportunity to repent, an opportunity to submit to Him and to follow Him. And so I want to encourage us all to, to let's be part of the solution when it comes to how people view Christians and the church. Let's respond to the hypocrisy in our own hearts and collectively work towards creating a culture where we're not pretending but where we are lovingly and graciously pointing one another to Jesus. We do that by choosing that narrow path that we talked about a few weeks ago, the path that leads to life. We do that by daily denying ourselves and following Jesus. It isn't the outside of the cup that matters. It's the inside. I'm reading a devotional this year. It's called Daily Strength. It's a, a daily devotional. And a couple of weeks ago, I sat down, and as I was kind of starting to think through this message, right? What am I going to say? How am I going to present this? And just happened to come across a similar passage. It's in Mark. Um, but Scotty Ward Smith, he concludes his, that day's reading with this. The only washing that will suffice is the one that we freely receive through the blood of Christ. We don't need all the external religiosity we need the blood of Jesus. We need to submit to that. We need to come to him over and over and over again. That's how we respond to hypocrisy. So let's pray. Laura, thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. And though it is, is oftentimes hard to, to take and it's hard to apply, you are loving and you are gentle and so you, you come to us that way, and you, you want us to, to respond to you, to come to you, not to perform, not to, to try and get all of the, the boxes checked, the, the T's crossed, the I's dotted, but, but come to you and, and let you do the work, because you've already done it. And so I pray that, uh, that we would respond in humility, that we would submit to you, and that, uh, that we would live our lives as a, as a response to what's already been done for us. And that we would be a light to those around us. That that we would show them that, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And that we would do so lovingly, we would do so graciously, and we would do so together. I pray this in your name. Amen.